Welcome to the Blue Mound United Methodist Church podcast. My name is Pastor Jacob, and we are in the process of launching our digital ministry. Uh, We want you to subscribe and to provide feedback as we work towards doing this better. Our goal is to enrich your faith beyond our walls through sermons, interviews, and Bible studies. We hope that you'll be patient with us and offer us a little grace as we work out the kinks in the recording process. Today's sermon is a bonus episode in our This Is Us series on uh, today specifically, The Church, uh, preached on July 7th, so sermon's titled This Is Us, The Church, uh, and I talk about what it means specifically uh, to be the church as United Methodists. Let's pick up with our scripture passage today, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Would you please remain standing for our New Testament reading? It comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the Holy Scripture. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And be seated. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the church. We give you thanks for how you have ministered to your people throughout the ages, from the disciples until now. Help us this morning to understand just a little bit more clearly what it means to be the church and to be a part of the church so that we might live lives as individuals and as a body that glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have slightly more notes than usual um, because there's part of the sermon today that's a little more dense than usual, but I have uh, uh, I guess a consolation prize. I've got a video clip to break it up a little bit. Does that, does that work for you guys? And and I promise I didn't I didn't tell Suzanne when she was picking the music uh, that that uh, Majesty song that we the the was it what, what's the name of the song we sang first? The, the first one. All hail the power of Jesus' name. It makes reference to uh, God's Majesty and. Uh, we crown him Lord of all. Well, the video clip is from the TV show The Crown. So I, I didn't share with her that beforehand, but God kind of coordinates things sometimes, and I appreciate it. Uh, so 
The first thing that I want to talk about with the church, now remember this is the, the ending of our series on uh, what it means to be a United Methodist Christian, which kind of follows a confirmation curriculum that helps you get the basics, the one on 101 level understanding uh, of who we are as Methodist Christians. Um, and so, uh, first I want to cover some uh, theology about the church. Uh, I touched on it briefly with the children. The church is not a building. Uh, the church is not a steeple, right? Uh, the song, you know, you, many of you know the song. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus, all throughout the world, yes, we're the church together. This is what we believe. We believe that, that God established his church through Jesus Christ and through Peter, as read in Matthew 16. You are the rock on which I'll build my church. And, and so the church was built. And then we read in, in Acts chapter 15, where they were first wrestling with, is this just a church for Jewish people that follow Jesus, or do they get to include the Gentiles as well? And if so, what standards do we have to hold them to? Because I don't know about you, but I think circumcision would have been a barrier to evangelism for adults, especially. Right? And, and so, uh, if if they're included in this, what standards do they have to live up to? What 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 bar do we have to hold them to? And they and they said basically, uh, if they got the Holy Spirit, uh, then they should need to go uh, go ahead and behave in just these few few things that kind of boil down all of the rules in the life three. <coughs> it was a long passage to get to that, wasn't it? Um, but either way, uh, that's, that's the first example of a church council in Acts chapter 15, where the body of the people that made up the church came together and they made a decision together. Now, I don't know about you, but church decision-making is something that sometimes puts knots in our stomach. If you've been familiar with uh, the structure and flow of churches in your life, some of us have stronger feelings about it than others. But it doesn't always seem like it's a gift from God. But it is. It is a gift from God. Then Jesus says that you get to decide. He says to them, whatever you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, so it, it will be yours to decide how this thing gets built. So our theology is that I'm the church, that you are the church, that we are the church together. It's not just a building. It, it's also not just a decision-making structure. When I or you or any of us together go out into our community to serve people, whether it be as a CASA volunteer, whether it be uh, through uh, helping at the senior center, or whether it be through any number of ways that we can help other people in practical ways in Denton County, that is God, God's self working through you to love people. That's what we believe as Methodist 
Christians. We believe that God works through us. And this is good news. You see, because we, we believe not only in the resurrected body of Christ, but we believe that Christ lives in each one of us. Now, the challenge of that uh, is quite heavy. Think about that. Think about the weight that it is that you are Christ's representative on this earth. Think about the ways that we behave or don't behave. Think about the ways we act when we don't get our way. Think about the think about the reactions we have when somebody cuts us off in traffic. Think about our reaction when when the overwhelmed waitress gets an order wrong. We are Christ's representatives in the earth today. We are the church. Everywhere we go, we represent God. Whether you're wearing a church name tag or not. That's a heavy weight. And it should call us to living the highest ideals of Christian life. But see, in the United Methodist Church, we have uh, three distinguishing aspects of what uh, the Methodist Church is made up of. These three distinguishing aspects uh, are connectionalism, itinerancy, and mission. You'll notice in your worship bulletin uh, that we have the mission of the United Methodist Church uh, on, the on the first page. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This comes mostly from Jesus himself commanding the disciples in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the mission that Christ gave the apostles back then uh, very closely matches what our mission as the United Methodist Church is today, to make disciples of Jesus Christ in the transformation world. That is what all of our effort, energy, and resources should be going into. And that's not just those people out there that are driving by. That's each other as well. But it's not just each other. It's all those people that are driving by. It's both. Because just as much as God uh, created and loved you, created and loves you, created and will continue to love you, all those same things apply to every single one of them going up and down the road right now. Jesus tells a story that uh, God is like a shepherd that would leave 99 to go out and find one. God is like that. And we as Christians are representing God in the world today. We live out that example. That's a really hard and heavy challenge. Our mission uh, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Uh, itinerancy is another uh, central aspect of what it means to be a United Methodist. What that means is, in the in the localized buildings and organizations that we call local churches, 
Um, there are pastors that aren't hired and fired by the congregation. In other denominations, the group of people that gather, they, they decide, well, we want, we want uh, to hire somebody that matches this description. They go out and they hire that person. In the Methodist church, the bishop appoints pastors to not only churches, but to mission fields. Charges is, is the technical name for it. Uh, in, in the Catholic Church, they would call it a parish area, right? And so, uh, itinerant ministry is a central aspect of what it means to be uh, a Methodist person. It, it draws its roots back from Wesley, but even further than that, when Jesus sends the disciples out, he doesn't send them to a place to stay. If you read through the book of Acts, they are always going from one place to another for the sake of spreading the gospel. And then the people uh, who they come in contact with, they, that they minister to, they train, they are then left to do kind of some of the things that we call the work of the church when the disciples go to another place. And then they correspond with letters. Itinerant ministry uh, is a central aspect of uh, United Methodism. And so what, what most people think that boils down to is you only get to keep your pastor for like two or three years and then they send them somewhere else. And then, uh, you know, if you read comments online about itinerant ministry, most people think that it has everything to do with uh, uh, hiding bad preachers, right? You get a stuff a bad preacher over here for a couple of years and then you send, send a different bad preacher somewhere else, right? And so people feel kind of strongly about uh, the movement of pastors uh, in the appointed system but it really has its roots in the, in the understanding that the work that we do in ministry is built not only by ourselves. It's work that we do together, and it stacks on top of what came before us. There was a pastor here before me, and before them, and before that. And a few pastors ago, uh, somebody thought it, it, it was a good idea. To, to lead an initiative to make sure we had audiovisual stuff. You know, there are some there's some churches that don't have this idea. And, and I find these most convenient for funerals when people want to play slideshows, pictures of the family. All sorts of good things can come by having visual aids. In fact, we're going to experience one of those here in just a minute. A video clip. Something that can help capture your attention so that you understand and so that you can pay attention to the overall message that's being construed. But see, it's not just the pastor's ministry. It's your ministry has been stacked on top of those who have come before you and who have come before you and who have come before that and came before that. See, the itinerant aspect of ministry uh, really at its core is about that we are not permanent. I'm not permanent, and you're not permanent. And so we want to do things in a way that those who come after us might, might have a, an even better experience than we do. They say that, uh, there's this old saying that says, uh, wisdom is when an old man plants trees whose shade shall never stand there. Wisdom is when an old man plants trees Whose shade he'll never set up. 
That's the core of itinerant ministry. That's one of the things that I love about the United Methodist Church. And even further, connectionalism is central. We are not on an island by ourselves. We, in our ministry, are aided by other churches that call themselves United Methodists, that are connected to us. We're connected to a district of churches that make up uh, kind of this area along the toll road corridor called the North Central District of the North Texas Conference. And those districts are organized into conferences. The annual conference is the central uh, body of the United Methodist Church. And even those annual conferences are connected with other annual conferences in what we call a jurisdiction. And then those jurisdictions are, are all concentrated to the general conference. And that general conference is over uh, uh, the global church. The global church also has central conferences that make up uh, smaller annual conferences internationally. We have a global church. We are so connected that literally this past week I had uh, an, an interesting opportunity uh, to teach the local pastor school in Moreboro, Tanzania, on the video chat. You see, because I can teach about communion and baptism in a simplified way because, well, we as Methodists believe the same thing, whether we're here or in Moreboro. The challenges of ministry are different. The level of training is different. You see here, if I tried to go teach a class at Perkins, they would say, you're not qualified, you just graduated the other day. But in other places in the world, they don't have the same training availability. They don't have the same level of expertise or whatever you call it. And so even me just having a Master's of Divinity instead of a PhD, I have more training and can offer that anywhere, to anyone that we're connected with. You guys helped support the training of pastors in Tanzania this week. Isn't that incredible? The church over there is growing incredibly, and it, it, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, so, so these are these are the theology, the Christology, and ecclesiology. Those are seminary words for you if you want to write them down and remember them. The Christology is how we understand Christ, and that we are the body of Christ. The ecclesiology is how we understand the United Methodist Church, uh, how we understand how we're connected by itinerant and in ministry. The practical reality is that we, uh, for the most part, behave as an individual unit, as Blue United Methodist Church. Yes, we have these connections, and yes, uh, there are all sorts of different ways that uh, these different aspects of connection, itinerancy, and admission impact this local church. But at the same time, the health and success of this church is up to each and every one of us. We cannot depend on the conference office for our health. We cannot depend on the church in Tanzania for our health. Each and every day, each and every moment, the practical reality is that we have a job to do to be the body of Christ. To be the hands and feet of Jesus so that somebody who 
who doesn't know it yet might understand the saving love of God through Jesus Christ. But while we're speaking about practicality, I want to tell you about a story. A couple years ago, I was doing a confirmation class, and one of these little little kids, um, he was he was about in eighth grade. He goes, he goes, um, well, y'all have all the money. I said, what do you mean you don't have all the money? He says, well, like, doesn't the government like pay the church and make sure that you guys get paid? What? Where did we get that understanding? Like. He thought, he thought that, that the government pays all the pastors at all the churches, and all the youth pastors at all the churches, and all the employees of all the churches. He thought that that just came from the government. Now, I hope, I hope that you understand that, that that is not how it goes. I'd explain to them, though, the support of the staff and the clergy comes through the offerings of the congregation. And, and it's often the case that youth ministers, especially, uh, make less than school teachers. So it's not like we've got all this money, right? Uh, if it is to be, it depends on us. Every bit of it. Uh, and even further, if, if a church needs a new building, the government or the conference isn't just going to write a million dollar check to build a new building. If you need a new AC unit, the same way. Now there are instances in which the conference can help churches in certain ways at certain times, even financially. Uh, in fact, this church has, has received some of those aids uh, in recent and uh, previous years. But the thing is, if it is to me, it's up to us. Each and every one of us. Myself included. But see, then, when you get to that level, when you get to the, the practical level of it's, it's what we put in the offering plate that contributes to what the church has resource-wise, this is where things get a little hairy. It does not belong to you anymore once you've given it to the church. It belongs to God. That's a really hard thing. See, one year we were, uh, me and George were at a 4th of July celebration. We had walked over to this one celebration from another celebration. The one we were had our chairs set up at was out front of like City's United Methodist Church. And we were over at the city celebration at the park just a few blocks away, or about a half a block away. And he said, Daddy, can we go back to your church? It was the first time I had ever heard him say that. And I said, um, what? He said, yeah, can we go back to your church? I said, whoa, 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 buddy. I want to make something very clear. It's not my church. I just work there. I work for Jesus. It's Jesus' church. It's not my church. Yeah, I just work there for Jesus. It's Jesus' church. And I know that in the practical realities of our daily life and our daily communications, we will often refer to the church as my church. 
You would see bumper stickers going around. I love my church. And in some ways, it's right, but in some ways, it, it's just a convenient way of saying. When the truth is that it's Jesus' church. It's God's church. And in the, in the Methodist church, we have this really interesting thing called the trust clause. That means that it's even another step removed of our ownership. Now, the trust clause is something that's polarizing uh, these days in the United Methodist Church. Uh, but it, what it means is that all of the assets that belong to this local congregation are being held in trust for the annual conference. Now, some people think that that means that the annual conference is this big bad boogeyman that's making you do things that you don't want to do. Um, but the only reason for that is to make sure that the mission of the church continues. That if something happens on a local level that could hinder the church's ability to be the church in that, in that setting in the future, that the conference is responsible for making sure that ministry continues where it's needed. It also has a practical <laughs> necessity. You see, in the United States, we have this thing called tax laws. Can you all say tax laws? I just want to make sure you all are still awake, because this is the part that could put you to sleep. We have tax laws in the United States, and as a registered 501c3 organization, which provides us tax-exempt status. Every 501c3 is required to have another 501c3 as its registered dissolving entity, which means that if, if this organization ceases to exist, which nonprofit will its assets go to? Well, for Methodists, that's an easy answer, the annual conference. So there's a practical need for it, but also there's this. There's the history of it, the Methodist history of it. The trust clause itself in United Methodist Church deeds was originally crafted by lawyers that John Wesley himself uh, paid to draft uh, trust clauses in the late 1700s. But even before that, the very first Methodist building, um, John Wesley writes in his diary this. This is a really dry world the video clip right after, don't worry. He writes this in uh, May of 1739. He said, before I knew where I was, I had contracted a debt of more than 150 pounds. This was for the purchase and renovation of a church building. And, and this I was to discharge as I could. But the subscriptions of both societies was not amounting to one quarter of its sum. As to the direction of the work, I presently received letters from my friends in London, Mr. Whitfield, in particular backed with a message by one, backed with a message by one just come from thence that neither he nor they would have anything to do with building nor contributing anything toward it unless I would instantly discharge all the fights and do everything in my own name. 
Many reasons they gave for this, but one was enough. Hear this. That such fights always would have it in their power to control me, and if I preached not as they liked, to turn me out of the room that I had built. Accordingly, I yielded to their advice and called all the fights together and canceled. No man opposing the instrument made the war and took the whole management into my own hands. Money, it's true, I had not, nor any human prospect or probability of procuring it. That means he didn't have any money. Uh, but I knew this, quote, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And in his name, I set out, nothing doubted. So in part, the trust clause draws its roots all the way back to 1739 over the simple concept that sometimes we as preachers have to preach difficult things. Sometimes we have to step on toes. Often those toes are my own if I'm speaking for myself. But sometimes we say things that congregations don't like. And it, would it be right for a congregation to only want to hear that which pleases their ears? I think there's scriptures against that. And so the practical reality that sometimes we have to step on each other's toes means there's, there's some benefit of this not all belonging to one small group but rather to a larger group of people. Now, I, I have good news for you. John Wesley didn't keep the deeds in only his name for very long. About five years later, he created a collection of 100 pastors that the deeds would, would be entrusted. Now our annual conference is not just made up of <coughs> pastors, but of lay people as well. So you do have a say in even annual conference level matters. Um, but it's still, it's still a confusion in our churches today as to who the church belongs to. And so I have, I have a video to go ahead and play. <coughs> Exactly what the king said. 
I remember. This person always look after things. Just a practice. It's not yours. Who's it? The church belongs to Jesus Christ. But as we said earlier, I am the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ together. If it's not yours, whose is it? It's our responsibility, no matter who we are, no matter where we find ourselves in this life, to be the body of Christ, to be the church, to build something that is greater for those who come after us than today, to build up the kingdom of God so that, so that all those who are passing by and all those who are sitting in our pews understand that God knows them and loves them and wants their life to be, be more filled with love tomorrow than it was yesterday. If it's not yours, then whose is it? Are you the body of Christ? Are you the body of Christ? Whether you're a good old boy from Hazard County, whether you're a southern belle from Charleston, South Carolina, or whether you're tuna fishing in Venice, Louisiana. It doesn't matter if you're a farmer from Blue, from Blue Mountain uh, City, not city because they never organized, a farmer from Northern Denton County, whether you're a suburban kid that grows up in South Arlington, whether you're a famous actor, movie star, football player, whether you're an accountant, whether you're an insurance guy, whether you're retired, or whether you're a school teacher, it doesn't matter who you are. You, if you follow Christ, the church belongs to you. And it's not just the five pounds, but it's also the symbolic weight. So if you need to practice, then practice. Because we've got a whole world of people that are just waiting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that we have been invited to the world. Because we are the church. Amen. Well, that's it for this episode of Blue Mound Methodist Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out in any way, please send us an email at office at bluemoundumc.org. We'd love to hear from you. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I want to challenge you to share this blessing with others by investing and inviting. If you know someone who has been blessed by this message, invite them to listen directly or by sharing on social media. Or, you can make an investment in this digital ministry by going to bluemoundumc.org give to help expand the reach of the gospel message. God bless.